and welcome back to another episode of Lost and Down. We are your host. I am Steve. He is Wally. He is David. Before I toss it over to the boys, we want you to know this episode is brought to you by Tabbies.com, the premier Delta 8 edible on the market, T-A-B-E-A-S-E.com. Make sure you use promo code FOOTBALL for 20% off the order as well as free shipping. Shout out to these two below and above me. I hope that's the view that you're getting here. Holding down the show here the past week. Wally, I'll toss it to you. It's been too long since I've seen either of you guys, but how are you doing? That bun looks phenomenal. I'm at the point where I'm just keeping the hair until I can cut it off and donate it. I'm a fat guy. This is, it's a lot, especially when we get into the heater in the house time. I'm not going to be comfortable. I'm already prepared. So it's going to be, unfortunately, bun up for for a while here. But I'm doing well. The Raiders won yesterday, as you guys know, which means that I have to wait to become an avid book reader until at least next week after we play the Kansas city chiefs, which you guys all know at home, if you've been listening the last two years, how highly I think of the Raiders chances playing Kansas city, but uh, I'm doing pretty well other than that. So I'm excited to hear uh, about your week, Steven. And we got to almost coin this now the West coast King, David Clayton, who doesn't lose in four o'clock or primetime games. We don't talk about one o'clock. But four o'clock in prime time, he looks damn good. David, how are you doing? Fantastic. I was uh, I was a little scared after the one o'clock games last week. I was like, I thought my betting streak was over. And then the 4 p.m. games hit, and suddenly we're back on. We're going to have to get out the exact numbers on Thursday shows. I, uh, Tuesday and Wednesday is when I usually get in, do the gambling calculator. But we're pretty hopeful that you had a positive week. And Steven... I'm pretty sure you had a pretty strong start at the very least. How are you doing? I, th- I think I ended just slightly above 500, but I really don't want you to look at those numbers. I'm not doing too bad. I'm just had kind of like a crazy week here this past week. So just kind of nice settled down. Had a, had a wedding here on Saturday, got shit housed. So I was hurting yesterday a little bit, but it was nice because there was football on for 12 hours. We have that again coming up this following week. I need more football injected straight into my veins. I haven't got enough through the first four weeks. I'm just saying. Well, we don't have a lot of NFL news this week, so that's going to make it very easy on you. We can jump right into talking about football right now. Steven, you want to get us kicked off into the, this could have been an email segment of the show? This could have been done in an email, but before you read said email, we want you to know this week's NFL news is brought to you by Abby Turner Creative, your one-stop shop marketing agency specializing in branding, high-end photography, fashion, and more, especially if you're Wally, David, and I's age where it feels like there's a college graduation, engagements, weddings, baby pictures, you name it. feels like they're happening every single weekend. Abby Turner Creative is the only way to go. Check her out for yourself on abbyturnerphoto.com. That's Abby, A-B-B-E-Y, or on her Instagram, Sawdad and Sapphire. Again, abbyturnerphoto.com. This meeting could have been done in an email. The Washington football team, I don't like the commies, lose to the Dallas Cowboys as Cooper Rush is 3-0 in this young season. Three straight wins for the Dakless Dallas Cowboys. David, is there a quarterback controversy in Dallas? Not technically, but there should be. <laughs> I don't know. I like I I texted it to a couple people as a joke, but Dak is, he just got his stitches out and supposedly he's throwing the football again and he's already back out there. And I just feel like part, it's gotta be some kind of pressure from Cooper Rush because I don't know if you're sitting on the bench and you watch your backup win three consecutive games and do fairly well. 
I think you're you're feeling it a little bit, right? Absolutely feeling it. Only problem for them too. 11 penalties to Washington to Dallas four. Dallas is at least playing clean football right now. Keep an eye on that. They are three and one. We might have to move them into the regular talking points here before long. Tennessee, though, they won 24 to 17. Second straight week, they scored 24 first half points before being held scoreless in the second half. They have seven, seven second half points all season long right now. They had a chicken shit call, the Indianapolis Colts, that is. That might have kept the Colts away from winning this game. Steven, it's your time. Is this a game that Tennessee leaves feeling, wow, we're right back in the division race, or are they panicked about what they actually are? It's week four. You get a division win against a a team that's just been lacking. Of course, you're going to be, there's going to be positives, but then you just have the generic line. Oh, we'll look at the film and there are some things done wrong. We'll enjoy this one, but we'll get back to the phone room Monday, yada, yada, yada. Doesn't matter if how the calls were. Colts are right back to being the most laughable team in the NFL. They turned the ball over three times, and they just never really had a chance in this team. Frank Wright is shaking in his boots. So if he doesn't win Thursday, Shaq Leonard is supposed to be out with a concussion as well as Jonathan Taylor. I'm calling this dude's done. I don't know. This game was a whole lot of ugly. I, I don't think Tennessee can be proud of the win, but a win's a win regardless. They're probably happy to have it with the season they're having. The Colts, God, with, with Jonathan Taylor out and Shaq Leonard out on Thursday, there's no way they win. I don't know if Frank Reich is out this early, but it's not looking good. Like, I've already seen some people call for Nick Foles to start. I just, you know, there's there's a whole lot of ugly with the Colts, and that team was supposed to have a whole lot of positive vibes throughout the season. So it'll be interesting to see how this how this team pans out over the next two weeks because everyone's on the hot seat right now. Matt Ryan. Top five in passing yards right now in the NFL. I want to say he's three or four. That's pretty insane to me, considering that. That makes sense when they're trailing every game in the second half the entire time. They're they're not trying to run the ball late. So it's something to keep an eye on. Chicago. They go to New York. Ugly game all the way around. I think, David, you build this as the ugliest game of the week for you. It kind of lived up to that. We had four quarterbacks play in this game, or I guess three and a half. Where Justin Fields, he took six more sacks, and he goes 11 for 22, 174 yards. But both Daniel Jones and Tyrod Taylor, or Tyrod, excuse me, got hurt in this game. And now all of a sudden, Davis Webb might be starting next week for the New York Giants. Bears fumble it six times, lose three. This is another one of those games where the Giants go to three and one, much like the Dallas Cowboys. But are they actually... For real, or is there any part of you that thinks that we need to put more respect in New York? Zero percent chance. I just I can't respect I can't respect Daniel Jones as a quarterback. I think I think there's some respect to be to be put on uh, Dabble's name, but I, I just you know Saquon Barkley. It looks like he's putting together quite the season. He's doing it on a lot of carries, which is concerning for a guy that's been injured a lot, but. I think the Giants are are playing some so-so and bad teams and getting wins out of it, which is fine, but I don't think they're anything special. I don't think they're a, a true three-and-one, going to be a playoff contender team. Um, I think it evens out throughout the season. Well, they're taking a step in the right direction. as you. I don't think that they're really that good either, David, but these are games that the Giants are used to losing. They're losing to the bad of the bad. So now they're kind of flipping the page and beating the – 
being on top of the bad of the bad. So three and one, Dayball's got something going. I like what he's doing with this team and the grind mentality that he has. Imagine if they had stars. Imagine if they had a $72 million receiver that decided to play and he played more than two snaps and he wasn't as stiff as a mannequin and he knew how to pass block and run block and all this. I'm just kind of spitballing here. Fun fact before we go to the next game, with New York advancing to three and one, they play the Green Bay Packers in London. This will be the first game, the first game in London where both the teams have winning records. That is embarrassing and just wildly disrespectful that we're trying to advance the game into other countries and we consistently bring dog shit teams. Looking at you, Jacksonville. Hey, don't tax our tea, bitches. (laughs) The Los Angeles Chargers stop a comeback from the Houston Texans after winning 34 to 24. Houston almost with the backdoor cover, but the Chargers bouncing back after just getting spanked by the Jaguars at home. Got to pat myself on the back here. I don't know if you read it off. I think it was in my notes. I don't know. I called for an Oscar Eckler good game. Not this good. 19 touches for 109 yards and three touchdowns. Chargers still don't know how to run the ball, but Eckler had a bounce back game here. I, uh, I'll be the first person to tell you I was so wrong on this outcome. I think I took Houston. Uh, we did, David. Spread we all did. Houston money line and uh, – Sheesh, I guess we overplayed the injuries a little bit on, on the Chargers part. But, you know, Eckler had a great game. Good call on that, Stephen. I I didn't see Herbert having 40 attempts on on the a week and a half out of injury. But uh, he played extremely well. You know, maybe, maybe I overrated Houston after the first couple of weeks. But the Chargers played extremely well for how, how injury-ridden their lineup is. Definitely a character win for the Chargers. They needed to win this. Otherwise, it feels like the season completely spirals. But at the end of the day, we're not going to put too much into this because this is the Houston Texans. They started off the year well, but they are who we thought they were, as Dennis Green would say. The New York Jets get their second win of the year after they complete their round robin of the AFC North in the first four weeks of the season. They beat Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh 24-20. to and the Yinzers get what they asked for. Kenny Pickett is now their starting quarterback. He made, he made his NFL debut in the second half of this game. It was a bit of a mixed bag. He did have two rushing touchdowns. And not a single pass of his hit the ground on Sunday. But unfortunately, three times he was picked off. We'll go to you first, Steven, on this one. What were your thoughts on this? Are you worried about Kenny Pickett in this decision? Or is this more of those credit to the New York Jets? They got a little bit more swagger than we thought they would. Something's going on in that New York locker room. They, I feel like they have very similar mentalities as this, you know, as the season progresses. I know it's very early on, but you know, Zach Wilson kind of walking in there on what seems to be a team with a lot of chemistry without him on there, or at least some sort of chemistry. He was kind of he was able to walk in there, picked up an extremely clutch third and six to your boy. Garrett Wilson there with a tight, tight window that Zach Wilson was able to get it in. And the man hit the gritty. Mitch, 7 of 13 for 84 yards and a pick versus Kenny's 100% completion percentage, unofficially, like Wally said. 120 yards, three interceptions, those two rushing touchdowns. You got to get Kenny in there. Why the hell not? You know what you have with Mitch, and it's not going to get better with the stretch of games you're about to face. Why not give Kenny the ball? Shout out to all the George Pickens fantasy owners. It's about to be your time. You can get off your bench finally. I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm on board with, with this Pickett decision. I, he's got a gauntlet of games coming up. 
I understand he looked half decent, but three interceptions on your only three incompletions and and half of your completions were at the line of scrimmage. That's that's a really not great look. But you know, if everyone's excited, if everyone Pittsburgh's excited about him, I I hope he does well. But my ass, it's going to be a pretty rough stretch. You, yeah, you don't as hope a Browns he does fan. well. Let's not lie here. <laughs> Even a Browns fan, you don't Here's want to the thing. I hope he does choice. well, but I know he's not going to, so I'm not worried about it. <laughs> oh, a little reverse psychology. One of our last games in this right now, we have Arizona went to Carolina. And I think the first thing we have to talk about here is J.J. Watt, very emotional week. He had a pretty impressive game where he played in situations that we probably wouldn't expect him to, especially given what happened Thursday night. But he had a very emotional press conference after the game. You could tell how much it meant to him that he's healthy now and that they got this figured out. Before we even get into how pathetic the Carolina Panthers offense is, I mean, you can't say enough about J.J. Watt and what he's overcome. This guy is one of the pillars of the defense in the NFL in the last 20 years. How awesome was it to see him play well and get a, a moment or one of the key stops in that game with his pass deflection of Baker Mayfield late? It's all you do. That's your boy. I know you want to go in on it. I think Baker Mayfield's broken. It hurts me to say, but I, I just think he's broken. I don't know if he's going to get any better. And the wheels, I think, are starting to fall off my Baker train. But I, I the Panthers look terrible. Um, as you said, it's it's it feels like it's over for them. I thought they would be a 500 team. This is looking to be like a five-win team. And I, I watched this whole game and this entire game, they made the Cardinals offense in the second half look like it does on paper. Baker I, looked like absolute dog water until the fourth quarter. And then he put together like four or five throws that make you remember who he can be. And then you're sitting there at the end, like, do we give up on him? Like, is this, you know, is this what we do? But this was a a disappointing game all around. I, it was kind of the most boring first half of the week, I think, in terms of games, but it came around in the second half. Baker Mayfield is the quarterback version of when you've had six straight triple bogeys, and then on 18 you you par, and you're like, shit, now I have to come back and play. You're right? It's like you said, he makes those throws, and you're like, shit, well, now we kind of have to keep giving him a chance because I saw here at the end. I mean, Carolina only had 220 total yards, three giveaways, Arizona dominated the time of possession 39 to 21. Cause I'm rounding up here a little bit. But it's like, Arizona's not really looking that good, but Baker Mayfield has a 15.3 QBR, the lowest quarterback rating since they've been tracking the stat in two, since 2007 on a side note to kind of go off of what Wally would said, JJ Watt just beat death. He essentially what he, his heartbeat, wasn't on rhythm and he went to like an electric shock therapy type deal and got his heartbeat back on rhythm or some crazy shit. This dude is the literal version of shark, AKA Lawrence Taylor from any given Sunday. And he scares me. He's got a kid on the way too. So it makes it even more special that they found it and that he got to go out and play that way. Really recommend you guys going at home, looking up that press conference after the game, if you haven't seen it yet, but our last game in this segment of the week, London, we talked about it earlier with a couple teams going there, but the first game of the year, it lived up to the hype. Minnesota outlasts the Saints 28 to 25, but the double doink is what everybody's talking about. 
Bears fans have to feel a little relieved that they're not the only ones in this club now. But Will Lutz, I feel so bad for the guy. He hits a 60-yard field goal with less than two minutes left, tie the game up, and then they ask him to hit a 61-yarder a minute later. He drills it, but it just goes to show how hard it is when you're that far out to hit it between the uprights. He kisses it off the upright, goes off the crossbar, and the Vikings are 3-1, and one, and the New Orleans Saints are 1-3. and three. Steven, we'll go to you first. Your division rival is 3-1. and one. They haven't looked... I guess as good as a lot of three and one teams have looked before. Are you worried about the Minnesota Vikings? Yeah. And I, and I don't think that's going to change because the one game that they looked really good in was against my Packers. So yeah, that's not going to make me sleep better at night because green Bay is also three and one and they're not really looking too great. The giants, there's a lot of, it must be the NFC thing. It's let's be three and one, but we're actually going to play like we're a one and three team. So it was a good step in the right direction. Yeah, the Saints who were who without their starting quarterback and, and running back and AK-41 and Jameis Winston. I'm kind of hopping on this New Orleans bandwagon. I like what Dennis Allen has done there, and I've been extremely critical of him because I just I never really liked him. I didn't like him when he was with Oakland at the time. But I think he's taking the right steps. He's, he has these, has these guys playing. He's getting the ball to his playmakers. He's making Chris Olave – get a lot of opportunity to get him the reps with Michael Thomas. I'm kind of in and out. Jarvis Landry's doing well, but I still think that Minnesota is the team to beat in the North, but it doesn't matter because it's all about the Eagles. Ooh, ooh I like the teaser. Ooh. I I don't think Minnesota, it's, it's tough to say Minnesota is the team to beat in the North when they can't win in, in big moment games and in primetime games. I want like I I think they're the best team and they perform the best overall. But you know if they're playing the Packers in prime time, they're gonna lose. It's I don't if they're playing the Lions in prime time, they might lose. The things I took away from this game: one, Minnesota wins when they can get Justin Jefferson going, and two, I think New Orleans' best shot at winning is actually with Andy Dalton and not Jameis Winston. That might be a hot take for most, but I I just don't – I don't think Jameis Winston's the guy that that people want him to be. And Andy Dalton is going to sink into your game manager role, and I think he gives them the best shot to win. Okay, so let me get this straight. We oh, buddy, want... I already told you I was wrong on Gino. Don't even bring it up. I wasn't going to bring up Gino. I don't know why your mind jumps to Gino. That's pretty defensive on your part. But all I was going to say is I just want to, I want to hear this right. You want to lean into the game manager who's not going to so turn much. the ball I over. Was coming across this I don't know what, I don't know what we're talking about. I'm just saying like we're leaning into the game manager because we don't want them to turn the ball over and that's going to help put them in a position when I, I hear you. No, I was just curious. No, 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 no. All right, so who's better Gino or Andy Dalton? Oh, who's that for? God, don't get us going on another I was just argument. saying, who's that for? Cause I think we know the answer. Hey, I'm just I'm just the gasoline, and you guys are my fire flames. Let's go. Speaking oh. of gasoline and fire, before we go and talk about Gino for the next 35 minutes, which we will do, I do want to go back. You guys at home probably remember we introduced this last year, the challenge flag. I have a question about this Indianapolis-Tennessee game. So for people that didn't watch, set the stage for you. There's two minutes left. The Colts are down. 24 to 17 at the Tennessee 34, 35 yard line, fourth and 21. Mind you, the Colts have their timeout still, but
Well, Frank Reich decided that at the 34 of his opponent, that they were going to kick a field goal to make it a a seven-point game, a four-point game with two minutes left. And nobody is talking about this. It is such a chicken shit move. And you are, you're not going to get fourth and 21. We all get that. But you are not going to win the game because you decided to kick a field goal with two minutes left. And that has been bothering the hell out of me for the last 24 hours. It is a fireable move in its own right. And for a guy that is coaching for his life this year, it came off so cowardly. And that would make me really worry, not only as a fan of that team, but if I'm a player in that locker room, because he obviously has no faith in his offense. Go I, off, Wally. <laughs> my only thoughts are, is this guy is, he's he's o- overwhelmed. But at the same time, I think 99% of coaches in the NFL make the same decision because there's really only three or four guys that have the balls and the wherewithal to go for it. On, okay. on 4th and 21. I'm with you, okay, that a lot of coaches are going to make this terrible move, and you're right, because that is true. But if it is me, who or what is to stop me from punting instead of kicking a field goal? At least then there's a chance I pin them inside their five. They're going to have to run out of a very basic offense and probably punt the ball back, and I'm going to have the ball at midfield with a minute and a half left. Instead, best-case scenario, best-case scenario, you are down four. There's a minute 50 left, and you play great kick coverage. Maybe there's a hold, and they have the ball in their own 15. It's an entirely different situation. I just – I don't know how nobody's talking about this because that is they, – they basically said, you know what? Instead of taking the shot downfield, get it possibly a defensive penalty, which we know is all too often in the NFL. Instead of that – No, instead, we're going to punt the ball or we're going to kick the field goal, which I can't emphasize enough. It didn't make it a field goal game. It made it a four-point game. I can't – that is so bad. You got to score anyways. Exactly. I'm frustrated beyond belief on this. And and Indy's defense was playing great in the second half. They were just shutting down Tennessee. So I'm tired of these coaches and – and I'll and I'll save it here. My challenge flag isn't here. I'm I'm whipping it out here a little bit later. I'm sure I'm going to kind of give a little precursor of what game it's going to be. But these coaches need to stop, quote unquote, looking at the analytics for this. Look at the fucking game. How many years of experience have you had, Frank? Right? And I'm sure there's been a couple times you've been in this scenario before. Stop looking at analytics. Look at what your team is currently doing right now. Fourth and 21 to your point, Wally. Yeah, you know what? We're not going to make it. Coming from a Packers fan who's seen Donovan McNabb pick up a fourth and 29. Or 26, you're right, you're right. In the middle of a playoff game, anything is possible, right? So why not go for it? And guess what? Your defense is going to – your defense has been playing great. Get them back on the field because that's your only hope right now because your offense – it's mediocre at best right now. Yeah, I get you have no Jonathan Taylor. You got to go for it. I will say, last thing, and I swear I'm done on this, but the football gods hated this move so much that he missed a field goal on top of it. Talk about the perfect result to a play and so well-deserved for the, the Indianapolis Colts. I was disgusted because I picked the Colts, obviously, to win the division, but you should have seen how fast I jumped off with my both suitcases under each arm off of this bandwagon. And I'm looking all around for that Jaguar one. And I don't care what happened in the aftermath of hurricane Ian in Philadelphia. Get me to Jacksonville. Get me to Duval. They're the champs in this 
I'm done. There's my flag. The Colts have to have some sort of record for most most missed kicks in the NFL dome because they cannot seem to find a kicker <laughs> that likes to make it through the uprights. See, speaking of dome kickers, because I, I think if you just left it at kickers, you'd have Browns fans arguing. But I think Minnesota Vikings fans have to at least be in that list because they, That's they your don't boy, make a though. clutch kick in the world. Well, they, well, and then Daniel Carlson leaves and, and they cut he him. makes everything. And they cut him. He was double doink, wasn't he? That was uh oh god, no. He was a former Cody Parkey, former Brown. Cody Parkey, okay. Well, he had a bad one too. That's why he was in there. David, we have a challenge flag here. You're saving it like me. No, I'm saving it. Me too. I only got one timeout left, so I don't wanna I don't wanna risk it here. With that, we're gonna go right to the games that really caught our attention here. Let's start with the Thursday night game. And yes, we know all the stories circ- circulating around Tua. We're going to get there. Let's briefly just kind of go over the game and what we saw here. Cincinnati winning the opening week four game here, 27 to 15. Run the jungle, as they like to say there. Don't let the box score fool you. This game was a little bit closer with Teddy Bridgewater, who came in here, I, I believe, right before halftime. There's so much damn football in between this and the show. I can never remember. Teddy Bridgewater was actually looking pretty serviceable. I want to say just as far as Geno Smith, but he was playing it pretty well, led them down on the drive, then inevitably turned the ball over, which ended this game here. But Cincinnati back on track. They've won back-to-back games here. They're looking to get above 500 for the first time this season. So, David, I'm going to toss it to you here. What was your recap or really any takeaways that you've had with this Bengals win after winning back-to-back? I think Zach Taylor remains one of the worst coaches in the NFL. Preach. Um, because as as we've seen, if you've watched, Jamar Chase is getting doubled and shadowed every play of the game, and they are so lucky they have T. Higgins, who is another wide receiver one, out on the opposite side because he is balling out this year. And it's just a shame because a good coach would be able to get Jamar Chase the ball. A bad coach lets him get taken out of the game. A good coach finds a way to get every player the ball that needs the ball. Um, but that's all I'll say on the on the Bengals. They played exactly – well, maybe not exactly how I thought they would, but they played well. They're back in it. They're rolling. The Dolphins, however, I'm a little scared that their hype train got rolling a little bit too early, and now it's coming to a screeching halt. Yeah, that's unfortunately probably very true. Teddy Bridgewater – is a game manager. That's kind of the theme of this show right now today, but that's not the kind of quarterback a team like this needs. It is a, a an offense that needs a playmaker, a guy that's willing to push the ball downfield. And unfortunately for them, Teddy Bridgewater's not that guy. They're still very likely or very possibly at the least a playoff team. It's just once you're there, Teddy Bridgewater's not going to be the guy to help you win. And I know it's kind of premature to say two is done for the year, but we'll get into that here in a second as well. This isn't like your regular concussion. And especially with the optics surrounding it, I think there are a lot of issues there. My only thing I'll say on the Bengals, and then we'll hear from you, Steven, and get to talking about the unfortunate side of this game. But the Bengals, to your credit, David, you pointed out like guys find a way to get their guy the ball. If I'm going to defend Zach Taylor, my only thing I would say is they had like a double wide receiver pass that actually got like 25, 30 yards to Jamar Chase from Tyler Boyd. 
that was pretty much the only way they were able to get it to him up until that final drive when we don't know if it was Hack Taylor or Joe Burrow and Audible at the line. Last year, we found out who was it in their Thursday night game, CJ Uzama. The icing the game pass, very similar to this one, was all Joe Burrow. I wouldn't be shocked at all if it was Joe Burrow again. Coaching's going to hold this team back. We They're 2-2. Two and two. They're right back in the mix to win the division. That's great. But they're not a good team right now. And I, I, I don't mean they're not Super Bowl good. I mean, they're not a good team right now. They're, they're average, maybe slightly above. I mean, these next few weeks are really going to determine that. They need to get back in the win column. And even if it's Teddy Bridgewater, too, uh, there's a lot of other stars and studs that they were able to beat on that game. I know they, as a Jalen Waddle owner, they shut down Jalen. Not so much for Tyree Kill, who, what, 10 for 160? One of the top three touchdown celebrations is the Waddle. I'm a sucker for the gritty by Justin Jefferson, but the Waddle. The Waddle's unbelievable, dude. I can't stop doing it. Being a Penguins fan, I'm going to be an idiot all winter long this year. You should get a Jalen Waddle, uh, Pittsburgh, and a Robo Pen jersey. Oh, don't tease me! Don't tease me to do something like that. That's what I'm here for. My one of my biggest take takeaways was obviously we're talking about Zach Taylor. Let's go to the other sideline here, Mike McDaniel's. I thought that he, the way that he was, had the team resilient up until probably halfway through the end of the fourth quarter. I thought he, I thought he did really well because the Bengals were kind of stalling out there after this two injury i want to say two or three straight punts they just didn't really look that good and they were able to get a score here late that kind of pushed the game away but i like what teddy bridgewater was actually doing in there and that's what the difference is between mike mcdaniels and zach taylor you had teddy bridgewater in there and granted i know i said Jalen waddle didn't do anything tyreek hill still had a game because you know it's not to get his players the best ball raheem mostert chase Evan had pretty solid games on the ground in the running game Mike McDaniels is that coach, and you can see the difference. If you put Jamar Chase on that offense, even with Teddy Bridgewater, that dude's still getting production because Mike McDaniels knows how to get his players the ball. And I could not agree more with both you guys here. This is a anti-Zach Taylor podcast. My God, this is a joke. I've never seen – and it's not like, oh, well, this is a one-and-done one and type guy. These are perennial pro bowlers, borderline all pro, that you have at your skill positions – Use them every single chance that you can get. They're winning in, in spite of Zach Taylor. I mean, how often ever, ever in our football lives can we remember a coach that just went to the Super Bowl being a month into the following season and there being widespread criticism and people upset saying that they're anchoring the team? I can't remember another one. I think the closest thing you could even say is potentially John Gruden – with Tampa Bay in the early thousands. And even then it was like a year after. I need people to think about if you put an above average offensive mind as a head coach, like let's take Stefanski and put him in Cincinnati. I think they have the best offense in the NFL. It's not even remotely close, not like, even remotely close. Like Andy Reid, imagine him in Cincinnati, what they would be uh, doing. It wouldn't even be fair. It It'd be funny. Be It'd be, they'd actually probably be better than the chiefs right now if you just swapped out Andy Reid, and it's only because the Bengals just have more talent and the Chiefs have to watch their talent walk away because of the money. And imagine the defense with the Bengals, this Bengals defense with a Chiefs-level offense. It'd be a 15-2 and two AFC team. Yeah. Just imagine if Urban Meyer was there. The main thing that we want to talk about here is, obviously, we have the new Tua rule here, but Tua Tungvaluwa, we all know, we everyone saw, and if you didn't, those that were watching the game, 
He was obviously concussed here about a week ago, right? And then he's on a short schedule on Thursday, takes what doesn't really seem as that horrific of a hit, but when you realize the person doing it to Tua and how small Tua is, it's a pretty sizable hit that this guy has on him, kind of doing the whipping motion to get Tua on the ground. We see Tua there. You see the hands and the neurological response to essentially what head trauma is, which is the stiffening of hands, the stiffening of arms happening. And not only do we see it, they just could not fucking stop replaying that. Like, we get it. You're going to be traumatizing people. Borderline kid, adults that are about to let their kids play football have not allowed them to play football because of this. And just the way that the NFL has gone about this and taking a lot of criticism and a shit ton of backlash on how they treated Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater, how they treated Tua in the wake of not having one concussion, but now a what people are saying a career-threatening concussion and how he should not even play for the Dolphins anymore. So, David, I want to go to you with this. You know, there's just a large chunk of meat on this bone here that we need to cover. But what were your thoughts about the independent neurologist, how he was handling it, and what we saw here on Thursday? I I think the NFL took the cheap way out firing the independent doctor because they could. It's never their fault. Yeah, it's never their fault. And, And frankly, I'm sure the doctor literally recommended, like, hey, He doesn't show signs of a concussion right now, but like everything on the field said, you should probably keep him out. And the Dolphins made the decision to go forward. Like I, the NFL does not have player safety at the forefront and they've gotten a lot better over the past decade, but it's still not the most important thing. This whole new rule where, where you keep players from returning after showing signs of instability, like that's an imperfect rule. Cameron Brait literally last night had, got hit, had signs of a concussion, they cleared him, they brought him back in, and then at halftime, they said he was out with a concussion. Imagine he takes another hit, and he's out again, like Tua is going to be out. Like, who knows how long Tua is going to be out. Yeah, like, they already announced Tua out for this coming week, which means you know, you know that this concussion is incredibly serious for his career because if it's if it's just a normal concussion they don't mark players out until game time basically so i I just this is a huge 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 red flag on the nfl's resume i I mean i'm at the point where yeah you see a player showing signs of instability keep him out but like you see a player take a hit like that to the head fucking keep him out for a quarter and see if he's all right especially your franchise quarterback. I don't mean to discount practice squad players or anything, but like we're talking about if if you truly believe Tua is your franchise guy, that's again, 10 to 15 years of your guy that you might lose because you made a stupid decision thinking week three in 2022 mattered. Here's a weird spin zone on what you just said though, about it being a franchise quarterback and not a practice squad guy that in 10 years from now, hopefully assuming Tua long-term effects nothing bad there it might have been such a blessing in disguise for so many other nfl players that it did happen to an nfl franchise quarterback because we were all watching it was a primetime game we all saw it we had been hearing about it for four days about him coming back after that if that's a wide receiver even if that's a running back are we talking about it absolutely not we've seen the fencing before whether it be hands legs fingers whatever when they go stiff like that To see it on a quarterback, someone that a lot of college football fans or NFL fans 
He was the face of college football for a year. It was tank for Tua. And now a few years removed, we had people worried about whether or not he died on the football field. And that's just, it's terrible, but it also shows that NFL teams, NFL in general is still so far away from being good at this stuff that perhaps in a weird way, it took something like this to happen before we actually get the ball moving on player safety. But that's just my weird spin zone on it. I don't know what you guys think. No, I, I can. How how could you not get on that? I I completely agree that it unfortunately has to come to this to really open up eyes, right? And then we're and now all the eyes, everyone has a target on their back. Every single person who gets hit and looks like they have a just a slight weird step, stumble, anything, we're gonna be looking at it. it this shouldn't be a surprise. We should be fucking doing this for years. It, it's like David said with uh, Cameron Bright. Do you think he plays in the second half last night? Had the Tua thing not happen? Because I guarantee he's playing. 100%. Totally agree. Totally agree. And it's one last thing before we toss it over to the next game here. The quote of Mike McDaniels talking about how we, first of all, this man went back onto a plane and flew home. That There's no way that can be good. There's no way that could be good in the swelling of a head from a concussion that he just took. And secondly, Mike McDaniel said, yeah, he's good. We were laughing on the plane ride home watching McGruber, McGrubber. That dude is clearly concussed because that movie is dog shit and no one should be laughing at it. Give this dude some help. This is insane. Again, two things. Hopefully this is going to kind of clear the path on NFL being way better at this. And I really, really, really hope that this is not the game that we look back on and say, yep, Tua was never the same player after that hit. The Cleveland Browns going down to the ATL with Lemon Pepper Lou getting some Magic City wings, taking an L to the Dirty Birds, 23-20. to 20. We had Miles Garrett. We had Jadavion Clowney out this past week. I thought the Browns' offense looked pretty decent. Nick Chubb having a, a Chubb game. He went back down to Chubb Town in Georgia to get to see all of his former, what, his old high school team and all of his family was there, which I thought was pretty cool. Get some better seats, man. You put them up in the in the nosebleeds. I know you got millions of dollars, Nick Chubb. So you know I got to go with you here first, David. Atlanta winning outright. What did you see from the game? What were your takeaways? And whose head do you want on a stick this week? I'm not putting anyone's head on a stick. The the I think the defense shockingly did enough to win, and and that was without their two defensive ends, who the defense is built around. Without DNs, that defense is a totally different. It's a totally different beast. They need a pass rush to be the team that we saw, or the defense that we saw last year as a you know fringe top ten defense. I I think the defense is enough to win, but the offense looked atrocious outside of Nick Chubb. Jacoby Brissett, I, I have I have shit on him all year long on the podcast, off the podcast. I don't think he's the guy. He's the most frustrating guy to watch because he has games like last week where he looks like, you know, he could lead us to 11 wins. And then he has games like this week where every time he throws the ball, I'm assuming it's an interception because it's so lethargic and and he's a big guy. So I'm not expecting him to look like Kyler Murray out there, but every time he throws the ball, it, it's like a loft. It's, it's something that I, I just feels like we're, we're watching an interception happen. And then these two abilities to have game winning drives. He forces a, like he goes from being game manager to 
all of a sudden now he's forcing throws and he throws an interception to end the game and ice it out. He's so frustrating to watch for me because this whole offense hinges on him being slightly better than a game manager, frankly, like especially going in these first four weeks, coming out of them two and two instead of three and one or four and oh is is such a disappointment because the next seven weeks are an absolute gauntlet for the Browns. Just an absolute gauntlet. I don't think we're going to win more than two of the seven. It's just a gauntlet of games that none of which I'm confident about. We could lose all of them by 50. We could win all of them by 20. It's just which which percent is showing up to play. Who is our defense showing up to play every week like they do like they did last week? Um, is our team healthy? There's just so many question marks that coming out coming out of this game with a loss is just a huge disappointment. And I blame it mostly on the offense. It's it's Brissett. Everyone wants to be like, oh, you know, Stefanski went for it on fourth and short to open the game. Go go look at the the tape. He had Brissett. If he looked slightly left, had Nick Chubb wide open for a touchdown on that. Yep. Like it's, it's, I don't want to do that because like you never know what these guys can actually see, but like realistically, you can't tell me that, that an elite quarterback misses Nick Chubb there. Brissett had his eyes locked on two guys in the corner the whole time that weren't open. Like they're not getting open. Look elsewhere. You got to see it all. This is one of those games I had on red zone. So I was watching a lot in spurts, but it felt like the Browns flew down the field in the opening drive it was first and goal, I think, inside the five even, if I remember correctly. What happened there? Would you have done – like, if you get stuffed three straight plays, and I don't know what the first three off the top of my head looked like, was it a, a moment where you were like, oh, God, we should be taking the points here? Or did you yeah. like the aggression? You like the opening drive. It's opening drive. Why would you – like, why take the field goal? It, it, like, realistically, unless you're playing – unless you are the Jaguars playing the Chiefs, why are you taking the points? you should know that you're going to get back there and get back into the end zone. And you should have the confidence in your team on, on God, what it was like, it was like five yards. It was like first and goal, but it was like five yards. Like you should have the confidence in your team to get, to get that yardage. I have no issue with him going for it. I, my bigger issue was, is that wasn't the only red zone attempt that Jacoby Brissett was bad on. Once we got into the red zone Brissett, like once you backed him up, and the windows closed a little bit. He was awful in the red zone yesterday. And don't get me wrong. I don't like Brissett's not a bad quarterback, but he's just so frustrating to watch for a team that if they had a good quarterback would be an easy division winner pick right now. It just kills me. It, it, it kills me inside because like watching him, I just like, it makes me want to rip my hair out. Only a few more weeks of Deshaun, bud. Hey, I, we do have to talk about for two seconds because I am the biggest Atlanta Falcons hater in the world. Yep. And they deserve their flowers from me because this is a team that very easily could be three and one. They didn't deserve to beat the Rams, but they fought well. They should have won the week, first week of the year against the Saints. I think that this is a team, and now Seattle, before we even get to them, they look much more... I guess, formidable than we expected going into the year as well. This is a Falcons team now. They have a few question marks with Cordero Patterson. He's on IR. That's a real blow because he does mean a ton to that offense. But credit to Mariota and this team. He didn't look great yesterday, but at the same point, he did enough to win that game. They did go down the field late and score. How much of a chance do you give them making the NFC wildcard? 
I'm not going to give them too much of a chance. I feel like they're not consistent enough on offense. And yes, you know, they, they have put up, they have put up good spurts here, here and there, but they're, they're as bad as the bad. Their good looks great, but their bad looks really bad as well. Uh, but you said it right. Score Daryl Patterson being out for at least the next four weeks is going to be huge. It's going to give, and I don't, I cannot pronounce the dude's last name, but Tyler Alliger, Alliger, whatever that rookie, keep your eyes on guy or something like that. Something like that. He's a, he's in our dynasty league that we're in. Uh, keep your eyes out for him. Cause I know he got some touches once score Daryl left and they had some running back issues there. Didn't he I end up finishing really the game with 11, like 11 carries for 84 yards or something. Yeah, I know he got I know he got me like 10, 10, 11 points on fantasy. So that sounds right up right up the alley. No touchdown scored for him. But I like I like what Atlanta's doing. They're like on that tier below of like those grinding teams I have and like the New York teams, but I just don't take them that serious yet. Like I need them to follow through and and can and beat some good teams. I like what they're doing down in Atlanta. They are way ahead of where I thought that they were going to be at any part of the season. So I'll to your point, Wally, I will give them their flowers on there. I just don't know how long and how consistent this can be. And I just can't trust Arthur Smith. Dude looks like a robot. He freaks me out. He's got, he, he's just lifeless behind his eyes. Like he's Mark Zuckerberg talking about smoking meats and not giving Kyle Pitts touches. I just can't, I, I can't back that dude up. I'm right there with you, to be honest. I think they're like exactly like the giants in my mind where they're good enough to win these games. I never expected it. And it's going to even out over the course of the season. I don't think they're a, a playoff team, but it's definitely been a surprise to see to see the uh, Falcons do well. I think we've we've between the Giants and the Falcons, they've got two absolutely incredible offensive minds now leading these teams, and that's why they're doing decently well. But I don't know. The Falcons just have too many problems on the other side of the ball, and they don't have a real quarterback to make them a real playoff contender. Don't look now, but that Atlanta Falcons Bucks matchup next week is to take first place in the NFC South. Hey, I'm just saying, if they win that game, it's it's something you at least have to keep in the back of your mind. If they win, we have to take them seriously. But I also don't think like that Bucks defense realistically is probably the best in the NFL. The Falcons won't win next week. They're going to get. They won't win. If if Tom Brady's dropping three to to the Falcons offense, that's a that's going to be a slaughterhouse of a game. Yeah, I'm putting heavy money on the money line. I'm not even going to sniff the spread. Atlanta, Atlanta, also the only, and I guess I should say this for Thursday, only undefeated team against the spread this year, 4-0. We'll see. Next week, they're going to have a big one to cover. Oh, God. Wally, I will toss it to you. I will get it. You actually took the words right out of my mouth on this segment. I'm just going to repeat them this segment. Seattle goes to Detroit, puts up 48 points, and beats the Lions. The number two scoring offense in the NFL with also the number of the worst points allowed for their defense. They made it worth Geno Smith, 320 yards, two touchdown game. Dude just set an NFL record for most for best completion percentage through the first four games of a season at 77%. He's doing better than what Russ Wilson is doing. I know. Shut the fuck up, Wally. It will be your time here. I hear I heard you. Hmm. Uh-huh. I was just, it was a unique fact. I, I was happy to hear it. Through four games, you know, 77%, just under 1,100 yards, six touchdowns and two interceptions. To Russ's 61% completion, 980 yards, four touchdowns and one interception. Wally, I will give you your flowers. Hate seeing Detroit lose this game, 
wish I put my whole mortgage on the over. But those Seahawks are coming to play this year with Gino, buddy. Good call. So far, just a month in. See, this is the bittersweet part about being quote unquote right about Geno Smith is that I have to now attach my own name and opinion to this team as if I'm saying that Geno Smith is this quarterback because he is playing above his ceiling right now, but he is a game manager. He is, and this is the dream scenario for him because Pete Carroll is not going to ask him to go out and win games. He is asked to go out and not turn the ball over and to just do enough to keep them in games. What sucks for them and what sucks for Jared Goff and the Detroit Lions is both of these defenses are abysmal. And this is the highest point I will have the rest of the year on Geno Smith because at some point, the fact that this defense is going to give up a million points is going to really affect Geno. And Geno's going to have a few of those games that are the – 16 of 29, 181 yards and three interceptions because they're chasing. And this is not a team built to chase. But when they can play ahead of the sticks, when they can play ahead on the scoreboard, Geno Smith is a good game manager. He is 20 to 25 in the league kind of guy. That is who he is. That is all he is. But my serious takeaway from this, and realize I understand that you guys are going to think that this is a joke but I don't mean it as one. At what point does Detroit and Seattle evaluate whether or not they should not draft a franchise quarterback this next cycle and try to fix the other problems on these teams, and that being the defense? When do we start doing it? Because I think it's it's much more of a fair play than we would have thought at least a month ago. It's now for Detroit. I can tell you that right now. Goff is good enough. Who is it? Brian Johnson is their offensive coordinator who uh, rumor has it in league circles is already touted to be a head coach. Right. I get to be triggered by him winning the Super Bowl against the Raiders every time he makes a good coach, good coaching decision. They throw highlights of it for the next 30 years. Can't wait. Thank you, David. Thank you for telling me that. Anytime, buddy. But uh, no, I here's the thing. If they can keep him around, he's making golf look like McVay made golf look like uh, up until the end. And if you can hold on to Goff, Goff is good enough as he's proven to get you to a Super Bowl if you put the team around him. If I'm Detroit, I'm building out the defense because, frankly, unless you have seven highly successful draft picks on defense, you're probably not affecting the win column a whole boatload through one draft. So I would, I would potentially, if I were the Lions, be looking at defensive draft picks in the coming draft and, and keep Goff where I have him. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of on David's on David's side on this one, too. I think the Seahawks definitely need to do that because Geno's getting up there in age. I know the quarterbacks are playing a lot and well into their late 30s, some of them in their early 40s, some of them in their early 60s, like Tom Brady. But I like what the Detroit Lions are doing. And just a kind of a side note, to better this argument, Jared Goff put up those numbers, and yes, I know there's a lot more factors. Jamal Williams had a great game. Look at Josh Reynolds having a solid game, his ex-Rams teammate that he brought over here. They were without Amaron St. Brown as well as DeAndre Swift in there. They're top two offensive stars, and this dude still put up 45 points. I mean, good for them. I like what they're doing, and it just feels like, yeah, obviously Goff isn't like a top 10 guy. You could maybe throw him in their top 15 just because of right now and how everything's playing. But it's just that's so clear that Dan Campbell, they're just made for each other right now. 
right? No one wanted Jared Goff. They threw him to the side. Everyone always kind of remembers Dan Campbell's the lovable loser in Miami. They're bringing him here and just that grit guy. And I think that they're the combination of them two are really sticking well. And yes, they have a great offensive line. Just three all pros on there. We're not even counting Panay Suel, who's going to be a perennial all pro whenever he's consistently getting voted in. He's getting healthy. I like that offensive line. I like their running backs. They need help defensively so bad. They got it right with Aiden Hutchinson. Jeff Okuda's got his got his time. But yeah, they need to add some defensive stars. And why not just add a nice second or third receiver to go in with their wide receiving core? And I think Detroit could could be decent. They can be that wild card team that is just here to fuck people's days up at the end of the season while making a playoff push. I really, really like what Detroit has shown this year. And I did not, I love them. Even as a division, quote unquote, division rival, I just love watching them and what they stand for. And this is making me do it more. I thought this, they were two years away from this. They are hitting the ground running. Do Staley, get into your boy, the defensive coordinator's face all week. Because he needs to bring that energy he was bringing to you during the hard knocks. It has not been shown here the first four weeks. This defense is going to cost them a lot. And I tell you, at some point, they got to start winning games like this. Talking about how fun they are each week is great for a while. But you have to start winning close games. But my last thing, imagine a scenario. It's February. We're at the award show. Gino's comfortably been at home probably for six weeks because his team's not going to be in the playoffs. But he gets to go up in not only literal flowers, he gets to go up and he gives a tearful, they didn't write back, or they didn't wrote me off, but I didn't write back speech for comeback player of the year. That's a very special time. <laughs> Jacksonville. Didn't come back from anything. Jacksonville. Going to Philadelphia, where they he came back in, from adversity, David. That's an injury. Came back remnants. from the bench where he's been rotting. The for remnants. Years. Who's he riding behind? Potential Hall of Famers, three of them in a row. Not a big deal. Oh my God. Get he's out just of passing here. along his wisdom to Come all of them. back from bench warming. Jacksonville, 21. Going to Philadelphia, 29. Hurricane Ian, the remnants, made this a very miserable game to at least attend it from the looks of it between this and the Buffalo game in Baltimore. I was very happy to be sitting on my warm couch at home, but thanks to the weather, Trevor Lawrence is the first player in this century to fumble four times in a game. All four of them were lost. He also threw a pick here, but you got to give a, the, a lot of credit to the, the Eagles here. I mean, they fell down 14, nothing early and then they leaned on their running game to go back to four and oh, Dave will throw it over to you first. Outside of that first quarter, this was all Eagles. Is this a game you're throwing away because of the weather? Or do you think this actually told us something about these teams? I, so this is one of those games I didn't – I only watched through, like, the game cast and, and you know, catching the highlights uh, on TV. But I'd love to hear somebody who actually watched the full game through and through tell me what that first quarter looked like because – Ugly. If the turnovers were the problem for the Jaguars, do they go on to win that game without rain? But at the same time, I, you know, Philadelphia is a, a juggernaut in, in the NFC right now. And I don't know if Jacksonville really is that team. So I'll keep betting on Philly until they prove me wrong, but maybe the rain's in effect, but I don't know if I'd throw it out for the weather. I mean, that's, that feels like a, a rookie quarterback just learning how to play through adversity. And he's not a rookie. I get he's not a rookie, but this is his inaugural rookie season because Urban Meyer is the worst coach of all time. 
it wasn't a Chicago monsoon that we saw uh, week one with the with the Niners and the Bears. I'll give you that, but I definitely think that the weather had played an effect. Yes, they were in a hurricane, and you have a team that's used to seeing hurricanes while going up to Philadelphia and playing in the weather. The weather affected Jalen Hurts on that pick six. I, I, I believe it was the opening driver within the first two drives. You know, Jacksonville, I felt like we're just controlling this game, and as someone who took them, all of us, at the plus six and a half, I was thrilled. And as somebody who took the money line and got burnt, I was very thrilled. But you never know. Don't get too excited. Don't count your chickens before they hatch here. They started off hot, the 14-0. And I wouldn't say that it was all Philadelphia. They didn't just pile it on. It was just a incremental, just death by a thousand cuts, I felt like, on this Eagles game. But, yeah, the weather definitely plays a factor on it. Four fumbles. I think it was actually five fumbles, and they recovered four of them. And it was just – in total and it was bad the defensive line for the philadelphia also added four sacks miles sander decided that he knows how to play football with over 150 yards and two touchdowns on the day between mostly on the ground yeah i think he had two receptions there or something but the eagles and not taking away from jacksonville i thought jacksonville played great they had a chance to win and i think if you cut those fumbles in half that we could be talking about a completely different game with a different score line and what we think about what Doug Peterson is doing in Jacksonville, but I'm just, I think I'm saying what at least Wally's thinking. This is the best team in the NFL. And I don't think there's an argument for anyone else right now. Well, okay. I definitely am very high on them. If they're not my favorite team, they're top three teams for best in the league. But if we're going to give Jacksonville this like pass almost for all the turnovers and all the fumbles, we have to also look that Philadelphia didn't do those things. They were down 14, nothing. Very fast in this game. Everybody knew what the weather was going to be like. Everybody. Both teams had to play with it. So the fact that the Eagles were able to come back from 14-0, they had only nine fewer rushing yards than the Jaguars had total yards in this game. They completely dominated after the first couple drives, and Jacksonville is a good team. They are going to have to learn how to play in inclement weather. That's a big Trevor Lawrence thing. Who knows if that's going to be a pressing problem in the future. But this is, to me, it's all credit to Philadelphia. They showed on both sides of the ball that they can win in any kind of environment. They didn't throw it great in this game, but who was going to? And after the first interception, they really settled in. They knew how to play this game. Nick Sirianni called a great game. Philadelphia, I got nothing else to say. They, I Every week, they just keep buying me more and more goodwill. And I'm basically one of those scumbags at this point. I'm, I'm just locked in with the Eagle love bird fever. Hey, city of brotherly love, the Buffalo bills travel down to Baltimore where they went 23 to 20, where we see Baltimore blow another 17 point lead. That's what twice in three weeks, twice, three times in three weeks. I just cannot simply keep up because this is not the Baltimore that we're used to. Their defense is looking horrific. Lamar is, Easily the MVP favorite right now. I think he's he's definitely have, has been shutting me up these first few weeks. I don't know about you, David, but I think that he's been playing. Yes, he's had some bad throws, but, man, he has made some good throws. And just the overall athleticism this dude has brought to every game, he has more touchdowns than I think all of the NFL teams. I'd have to look at that stat again. You know they're playing it all on CBS. But Baltimore getting blanked in the second half. The Bills walk away with just points off three of their last four possessions. And no, I don't think Josh Allen had a bad game, but surprisingly, Baltimore's defense was playing 
pretty damn well in the first half, shat the bed here. But my question I want to ask you guys is, here's my challenge flag now. John Harbaugh going for it on what fourth and two from the goal line, fourth and goal from the two yard line. I want to say with a couple minutes left here, I don't have the exact time, but goes for it instead of kicking the points to go up 23 to 20. Now I know that we were talking about the analytics and all this shit. This is the reason, the opposite reason of situational football of why you should go for it. Your offense hasn't done shit the whole second half. And guess what? If you look over at the Bills' sideline, they are defeated. They feel like they're clawed all the way back just to lose here. And you give them the game, in my mind. Because, quote-unquote, the analytics say that you should go for it. That is not a quote you, you should be saying, John Harbaugh. You have been in this league long enough. You have been a head coach long enough where you've been in these situations. And I get it. You've li- lived and died by the fourth down. But with the way your offense was playing in the second half, you have got – to put points on the board, to give that much more pressure to Josh Allen. We can put him on the two-yard line. They can drive all the way down. How did that work out? Wally, what did you think? Do you think I should – I have the right to be upset with my challenge flag here? And what did you think about Buffalo squeezing it out here at Baltimore? I guess you probably have the right because it played out the way it did. This is one where the weather kind of makes me think twice on both ways. If this is a sunny day, a normal day, I have no problem going for it. You have what you believe is an MVP of the league. You trust him with the football in his hands. Inside the red zone, he's probably one of the best kind of quarterbacks you could ever dream of because he has that rushing ability too. What John Harbaugh didn't account for, and I think a lot of us didn't account for, is the idea of him throwing a pick there. If you don't throw an interception, it's the Bills ball at their own two-yard line. They haven't exactly played lights-out offensive football either. I think he's banking on the idea of it's going to be very hard for the Bills to travel 98 yards on the field or whatever it is getting field goal range yesterday. I don't I don't know. I, David, I'd, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts because, to be honest, I, I don't have a problem with what John Harbaugh did here. No, I'm with you. I don't have a problem with it at all. I mean, 415 left. Realistically, you do throw the interception or you do turn it over on downs. That is plenty of time to either hold Buffalo outside of field goal range or if Buffalo really takes it to you, you'll have time on the clock left to at least have another shot. Realistically, I I have no problem with going for it because, as you said, you've got an MVP candidate or potential MVP candidate who's been playing out of his mind for the first three weeks. I don't know why you wouldn't go for it. I I mean, I get the weather aspect. I get taking the points, but like, let's say, let's say you kick the field goal and there's four minutes left and Josh Allen slowly marches down the field and scores a touchdown and you're still screwed. I I don't think there's anything wrong with going for it in a tie game in that scenario. I'm a little surprised from, I guess I shouldn't be at this point, but from the reactionary fire John Harbaugh takes, out there uh i mean the guys only made your team a perennial playoff team his entire duration there i i I get that you've had two really really bad losses at home where you're up three scores or two or three scores and you'll lose it in the second half or in the dolphins case the fourth quarter i get it but like Man, if you're going to fire John Harbaugh, I hope you're not expecting anyone to come in there and be even remotely as good. Like, there's no. And there'd be a line out the door for John Harbaugh. 
Yeah, there's nobody oh, yeah. out there outside of maybe Sean Payton who maybe would consider Baltimore, but let's be real, probably holding out for an even better job. Like I, Sean Payton's your only name out there that's coming in and, and doing a better job or at, let's not even say better, equivalent job. I, I just, those calls for his firing are outrageous. Just an outrage. Like I would take John Hollerball somewhere on the Browns if I could. He's well, just one of those guys that's above average. He's going to develop you a winning culture. He doesn't do anything great. He doesn't do anything bad, but he's he's a good head coach. Here's my question for you two going off of, of this is if we're going to criticize him at all. Last year, we know, I, again, beating the drum. I do it every day. Most man games miss Baltimore 2020. It's what I do or 2021. This year, they've now blown, like you said, Stephen, two, three possession games at home. In the first month of the season, I, like I don't know, like if we're gonna blame Mike McDonald in, in the new defensive coordinator, that's great. It's happening last year. It's starting to become a little bit of a trend, and that sinks into people's psychology there. And it's the oh god, we have a lead. What happens now? Let's let's be cautious on offense. Let's not be aggressive. And then defense, again, you're you're like almost overthinking it. You're not the same. So. I, I don't know. Like, what do you guys make of these blown leads and whose fault would you say they are? Well, I let's ask Marcus Peters because he was pretty livid after what they did was tackle what tackle Devin Singletary like on the three or on the two, not let him score to give Lamar Jackson the opportunity to at least go back and tie it, win the game, whatever it may be. You know, John Harborough likes to go for it. He's probably going for two on that play. Something I'd back up because of the analytics, some bullshit like that. I think you hit the nail on the head. It's the psychology of it, right? When you feel like things are going right and then you're like, oh no, not this again. And it's all you think about. It's it's a very mental game. And if that's always going to be in the back of your mind, more times than not, that's what's going to happen is the worst fear in that, in that scenario right there. They have the pieces on the defense. I don't understand why this, and you can maybe blame the offense on this game. You went hot to cold, ice cold. But Baltimore defense is giving up 23 points. That means that they are winning by at least two possessions. They're not used to not only putting up 20 points. So their defense needs to get right, and they need to get right yesterday. And I think that they're going to get better throughout as the year goes on. I don't think they're going to make a huge jump like the way the Chiefs did last year. A jump is kind of like a um, – I don't know if I really like lack of a better term, but – you guys understand what I'm saying. They need to get that fixed right now because that's what's going to hold them back because Lamar is playing outrageous. The Vegas Raiders get their first win. Wally was still bitching about it in our group chat for some reason. Just breathe, baby. Quote from, from DK himself. But Vegas gets a win against Mr. Limited. That's right, Mr. Limited in the pass game. That's his new nickname. Derek Carr only putting up 188 yards. Devontae does Devontae with over 100 yards, but Josh Jacobs coming to play a couple tighties in 144 yards. Wally, your time, baby. You got the first one underneath your belt. How are you feeling? Well, I'm pretty happy we would beat the fourth best team in our division. I've been saying Dude, that all year. Can't be fucking happy. Oh no, I, I, I'm, I'm just. You, you guys want me to do rainbows and butterflies and say everything's Buddy, great? In the right. third quarter, you said you'd seen enough, and you were going zero dark thirty. They won by what eleven points? They were, Get they were up here. by, they were up by two scores with the ball, and he's like, oh, I've seen enough. This team 
in the red zone gives away wins. They got away with it on Sunday, but they scored two touchdowns on five trips. You can't do that against good football teams at home, quote-unquote, when I say that. It looked like an orange sea out out in Vegas on Sunday. Good for Broncos fans. They travel well. Great for the Raiders. They sold the game out. That's awesome. But if you guys want me to be sunshine, rainbows, butterflies, everything's great, I will. If, is that what, if that's what we're doing, great. I'll, I'll start doing that. Devontae looks wins wonderful. Wins. De, Devontae looks wonderful. The Raiders are one in three, but I'm sure they'll win the next 13. So 14 and three, very much in play. Defense only gave up 23 against the worst offense in football. I should be thrilled with that. That's great. The, the same offense that couldn't score on Seattle, the same offense that couldn't score on Houston, the same offense that last week was a joke against San Francisco. They threw up 23, would be more, but they're literally have their offensive players like getting crippled and fumbling the ball. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm done. I, I, this Sunday, the Raiders play the Chiefs. If you want me bought back in, I don't even need a win. I just need them to look like they belong in the same football field as Kansas City. And I've seen this before. And I think there's a great chance we're riding into our bye week, one and four coming off a three possession loss to the Kansas City Chiefs. But, but yip, yip, hooray. We won a game. Well, the other resident Raiders fan in here, David, did you have any takeaways from this game? Uh, maybe a little bit more positive than one Walter Lukashevsky? I have. Oh, am I not positive enough for you guys? <laughs> <laughs> Your tone is fine, but you know exactly what I mean, Wally. <laughs> Look, I, I, I'm still on the Raiders bandwagon until you know they're three and ten going into. Well, you shouldn't 14. be. They're gonna, or you should be. They're gonna win the next thirteen games. I, they're not gonna win the next thirteen, but I, you know, I Hater. think they finish a nine-win team regardless. Anyways. Uh, I'll, I'll counter your negativity with I think that the Raiders are actually in a tough spot in contract years for Josh Jacobs because he's playing very well this season and they didn't pick up his option and they're not going to pay him at the end of the season. But, you know, you essentially just what let a guy walk away who's doing fairly well for you. But I, I don't know. The offense looks good to me. I, you know, maybe I'm wrong outside of the red zone. Yeah, you can improve, but the offense looks good. Things are great. I will say the one thing after – kind of praising how fluid I thought the offense was looking just on the point of view of how many people that Derek Carr was getting into the mix. Nine completions to Devontae Adams, 12 completions just to four other people. With And I think Darren Waller had three of those. We all know the offensive line is hurting. And yes, you gave 28 touches to Josh Jacobs. That's awesome. But we need more spread, spreading around of the ball. But I think that really kind of shows how much you guys are maybe missing Hunter Renfro these past two weeks, Wally. I think it's awesome too, that everywhere I, I look for, depending on the week, it changes the narrative week one. It's, Oh my God, we're force feeding Devonte Adams. Let's spread the ball around next two weeks. They spread the ball around. Why'd you go out and pay or get Devonte Adams? You don't give him the ball enough. You can't win. There's no, no, there is no winning. It don't matter. It don't matter. People have already decided. And that's great. I, I got nothing else. I've got nothing else. Things are great. But let's go into a game that I I don't know if you'll be excited to talk about or not. They avoided disaster, but the Green Bay Packers needed overtime 
and they needed 10 minutes of overtime to beat the Bailey Zappe, Western Kentucky Hilltoppers led New England Patriots. This was a game that while it was 7-3 early, it felt like the Packers were in complete control until 20 seconds left in the first half and everything went off the rails after Aaron Rodgers threw a pick six to, I can't even remember who it was on now, Jack Jones. Steven, a win's a win, but how are you feeling on Monday morning today? Oh, I, I feel horrible. You said it best. It's a third-string quarterback playing competitive ball against the Green Bay Packers in Lambeau Field. Imagine that being your first start. You have to go up against Rashawn Gary in that defense in Lambeau Field. Shout-out to Rashawn Gary. If you guys don't really watch a lot of defensive players or don't know anything about him, watch that dude's tape. Five sacks in his first four games. Second in the NFL just by half a sack. He is a game wrecker, and I'm excited to continue to watch him and you know, hopeful that he stays healthy and we can still get a healthy dose of him and Kenny Clark just terrorizing the interior of the lineman. Aaron Rodgers, that offense – it looks okay. Shout out to Alan Lazard having the quietest six receptions for a 116 yard game that I've heard this year. Christian Watson's getting a little bit in there. My boy Romeo Dubs should have had two touchdowns against New England's best cornerback. We can go and debate about if that was a touchdown or not. I thought it was a touchdown, sprinkle with a little bit of bias on there, but we'd have to go. Uh, to Mike Carrera and the boys to see if it's actually true. I just thought it was. I like what Green Bay's doing with their two running backs of both the AJs and Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon. But you have to be worried about this Packer offense. Yeah, you scored the most points that you've scored all year in the, in the 27. I'm happy for it. And yeah, it's a Bill Belichick ran defense. Now, no matter if there's no stars on there or not, he's always going to play you close. But it has to sting where this offense, this Packers defense could not stop the run. They were letting Brian Hoyer and Zappi get it going here. And the game was way too close for comfort. But, man, when Green Bay are playing these teams and they're anywhere upwards of a nine-plus favorite, you have to take the points in that team. Because I know I alluded to it last week in the Jaguars game in 2020 where they were like 11-point favorites and won by three. It's just something that Green Bay does. And a lot early on in the season, they like to play to the level of their opponents. They squeak it out, but I don't like it. You're the NFC Steelers. We are the NFC Steelers with less success, unfortunately. I want to go to the play where New England scores a touchdown, and I get it. We are very lethargic on the whole. Play clock is at zero. Oh, no delay of game. The Pats offense was flagged for a delay of game. They go right back up there. The clock hits zero, and there is three full seconds that you can count from the clock hitting zero to the ball being snapped and that play ending in a touchdown. That ref should be fired. I understand there's a half second, a second cushion, but when you can literally scream and you have the perfect Tony Romo saying something about it, that's really how I know I can hop on this bandwagon. There is something wrong. It's sprinkled with that and what I thought was a touchdown catch. These refs were just trying to give New England this game. But resilient teams come back out on top. Green Bay, and it's not pretty, but this is the Green Bay as of the last three years. If you're not blowing them out, they are grinding games against the New England Patriots with a third-string quarterback. The Chicago Bears with Justin Fields doing this. The Blake Bortles-led Jaguars two years ago. This isn't out of the realm for the Packers. It's annoying, 
but I'm positive. Unlike Wally, a win is a win. And I'll take that over the easiest stretch of the next four weeks for Green Bay. Wow. It's almost like you just explained why you should be positive at, at the very end there, but whatever. Yeah. You guys Appreciate are that. in an easier conference. You are in a division that maybe you, you struggle to win, but you're going to make the playoffs either way. You have time to grow and get better throughout this year. So while, yes, this was kind of a frustrating game, I imagine, for Packer fans, at the end of the day, you're 3-1. and one. And this is coming off that week one loss where you looked anything but a Super Bowl contender. I think yep. you call it a win. You, you move on. You're happy. And like you said, you go into the easy part of your schedule now. No worries. As Aaron would say, relax. R-E-L-A-S. I have two takeaways from this game. One is Aaron Rodgers needs to figure it out with the receivers because at the start of the game, he looked like he was just throwing to his buddies. Then we started to spread it out. Then at the end, it looked like we were focusing on only the guy I trust at this moment, which is fine, but like we need to figure it out with the receivers. Two. If you're not doing it now, what makes you think you're going to do it in January when it matters? No, exactly. Two. I, as a Patriots fan, I'm a little shaken at the third string rookie rookie quarterback coming in and playing kind of how Mac Jones came in last year and played. And now I'm wondering, you know, is Mac Jones our guy or is Bill Belichick doing what Bill Belichick does and making average quarterbacks look a lot better than they are? Well, well, hey, that's Matt Patricia. Yeah, Matt Patricia led offense, of course. Great offense of mine. God, that's I even I totally forgot about that aspect, well, and that makes it so much worse that Green Bay allowed that to be that. I, I, I will say this. I will say this as somebody that last year I was doing the Pigskins and Nylon, the Big Ten podcast as well. I got to watch two Big Ten teams play Bailey Zoppe in Western Kentucky. So I had to do a little bit of prep for him as well. The guy can sling it. As far as a, a third string quarterback goes. He's about as good as you could hope for. And I mean, I guess credit to him. I mean, he, he did show up and at least do what he was asked. But I think that a large part of his performance is the Packers were completely unprepared for him. Didn't know what to expect. And he can't blame anybody. It's a third string quarterback you weren't preparing for. That's fair. I just, I, I, it feels like Bill Belichick brings in third stringers all the time and makes them look like legitimate NFL quarterbacks. And that's very true. Shout out to Jimmy G. The last game. And Jacoby Brissett, so- his boy. Brian Hoyer. It's everybody. Uh, Matt Castle. Do I need to continue? Because that's all I have. So I'm going to stop here. The last game that we had here on the Sunday night, the Monday night game is yet to be played. About a kickoff here in about 10 minutes. Kansas City Chiefs get it done again. Head to Tampa Bay where they went 41-31 to against the Buccaneers. The game started off hot. What was it? A turnover, muff punt, whatever. Kansas City scores in the next two plays. They're up. They got seven on the board within the first minute, and they did not stop from there. Tampa Bay needs to be worried, and Kansas City, my God. I still think the Eagles are the best on here, but Wally, division rival, they look like they're firing on all cylinders right after a loss against, I think, the worst team in the league in the Indianapolis Colts. Is it clear? that the Chiefs are the team to beat in the AFC right now? They're right there with the Bills. I'm not ready to pick one or the other. 
but it's those two teams, and I think there's a considerable jump. There are over 50% on third-down conversions, one of three teams. They've scored over 40 points twice now. The Colts game was very frustrating if you're a Kansas City fan, but it feels kind of like an anomaly right now. And you have a Raiders defense coming up that really hasn't shown that they can stop anybody. Assuming the Chiefs stick to what they're doing, you're going to have a 4-1 and Chiefs team with no issues on offense, spreading the ball around very well. I, I think that we might have been a little quick to panic last week. The Chiefs are good. They're gonna. They're still going to win 13, 14 games. So I hope that answers enough of your question. I think the Chiefs are the best offense in the NFL and remain the best offense in the NFL. The reason why I'm not sold on them like I'm sold on the Bills bandwagon is because the Bills have a defense too. And the Chiefs, the Chiefs have a they they've always had a bend don't break defense, but this feels like the weakest defense they've had since Pat Mahomes got drafted. And it probably is. But I the Chiefs did what I expected them to do, which is come out and and beat a semi-struggling offense, Tampa Bay, and overcome Tampa Bay's incredible defense with, you know, an incredible offense and Patrick Mahomes. And that's another thing that's so surprising. This is a defense that hasn't allowed, I guess I'd have to go back to it, what, over an average of, they allowed three the first game, three against the Saints, so there's six, and then 14 against the Packers. I don't even know what that is, just under seven points a game. That is miraculous for the fact that Pat Mahomes came down here and just had his way. It felt like (laughs) they had this game circled on their schedule. It's a Super Bowl rematch. But one thing that you put on here, Wally, that I don't want to take your thunder, but I definitely want to ask you. The Bucs only carried the ball six times, and that was for three rushing yards. I mean, I get it. They were down They were down early, and it felt like they needed to pass every game. But getting away from your offense that early is going to affect you one way or another. And, man, oh, man, did Kansas City do that right off the rip? So the only two thoughts I had on that is, one, I like did a – double, maybe even a triple take when I read or saw that in the box score this morning. It was something that I guess I wasn't aware of last night watching the game. But that happens to me because of one thing. You might not be calling the plays, but you have a rookie – well, not a rookie head coach, but you have a a very new head coach who's a defensive-minded guy. If that's Bruce Arians, whether it's him calling the plays or his offensive coordinator, you best believe he's going to go over there and say, dude – we got to slow this game down, start running the ball. Because when you do this, I mean, the Chiefs scored seven of their first eight drives. There was no slowing them down. The Bucks' offense was probably their best chance to keep the Chiefs' offense from scoring a lot of points the other day. And instead, they kind of played into that highway speed game, and that only helped Kansas City. Felt like the Bucks were scrambling all game, trying to catch right until – about the fourth quarter and by then it was well too late what's the last thing you want to do with this kansas city team is try to play to their level of their pace of play it's absolutely bad three in a row this week is tom brady falling off david no but i think to wally's point you have a change in coaching so you're probably not getting the the influence you once were but i I feel like after everything Wally just said, I feel like I'm done doubting the Chiefs at at all, ever. Like, I don't know why anyone – 
as far as I'm concerned, you should assume that they're going to win every game on their schedule and and maybe something becomes interesting where they might lose, like Wally's instinct to pick the Colts. But I, I just – this team is – as long as Pat Mahomes is healthy, this team is the best offense in football, and I'm, I'm very confident saying that. Like, I, it's – he is the guy, and he's probably, knock on wood – going to end up the greatest quarterback we've ever watched period. And and I want one final question. And then we're wrapping up. I know we're running long today. Has there ever been a bigger race for home field than it feels like in the AFC this year? Because whether that game is in Arrowhead or whether that game is at Ralph John up in Buffalo, it feels as monumental as I can ever remember the battle for one and two seed being we're kind of getting used to the idea of the playoffs running through arrowhead. If you go and put them in front of bills, mafia, who knows, maybe that's the recipe. You get them on a snowy day. You have a decent pass rust. Maybe that's it. I I'm on board. I mean that we're we feel like we're just waiting for the AFC championship between bills and chiefs. It's just, who's going to be home field. I remember like back in, Back in the peak days when Green Bay would just lose to Seattle every single year in the playoffs, it was always at CenturyLink Field. Let's get one of these in Green Bay. It feels like it's always at Arrowhead. Let's get one of these up in Buffalo. I want to see this. New overtime rules, but Bill's Mafia at home for a playoff game for an AFC championship game? Sign me up. Last second predictions of the Rams 49ers game. David, any last second predictions on this team or on this game tonight? No, I'm still riding with the Rams. Uh, I I think the Rams are are going to win it. I'm taking the the talent on paper over the the history between the franchises all day every day. I'm still on San Francisco. I love the history between the coaches. 23-21 Niners. I honestly can't remember what I picked, but for some reason I'm on the Niners this week. It's something – it's not the history of the franchise. It's the history of Kyle Shanahan making Sean McVay his bitch since joining the division. I like that to keep going. Mostly because I have a parlay with that in the over, so I really hope it doesn't screw me. With that, that's going to bring us to an end of another episode of Loss of Down. Make sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Loss of Down, Twitter, down underscore loss. Wally, David, do we have any parting words here for the fans? Heading into the week. I got nothing except for never bet against me in the 4 p.m. and primetime slots. That's the West Coast King you're talking to. Yeah, and I guess my only thoughts are I'm going to do my best to enjoy the the sun and, and the stars and everything great in Raider world. Oh because I know God. what's coming Quit in the next five the days. noose around the tree. It's going to be days. all right. <laughs> One and four, and it's going to get ugly. And I can't wait to hear you guys tell me I, I should – I should be happy we're one and four. I can't wait. Uh, I want to see you one and four. I'm going to pull an Eric Cartman trying to taste your tears. Oh, Scott, your tears. I won't be crying. I expect it. Until Thursday, we got the West Coast King. We have down on himself Wally and bounce back. I'm fucking, oh my God, I need to bounce back this week. That's all I need. Dino Smith, comeback player of the year. I got wings at my front door. Stop messing around, Wally. I'm out.